Two guys. Two topics. Two, two, two. two opinions. You talk. Give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5-1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. So how excited are you to have that contract extension now? Yeah, I mean, I just decided to keep, keep coaching, keep working, you know, so just thankful to, uh, you know, first of all, to our players and uh, hard work and the belief they have in, in, in the system and our program and um, it's thankful to the administration, you know, Tom Homo, President Worthen for all their hard work and, and uh, their belief in me and, you know, my my coaches and the uh, support staff, everyone that's been involved with BYU, just uh, uh, so much um, gratitude for coming from me. I just on behalf of me and my family, just thank you. So uh, my family and I, we love it here in Provo. And we, we're just looking forward to spending more time here. At what point did uh, the negotiations kind of ramp up between you and administrators to get this done? Um, I was focused on football, you know, so I think that uh, Tom had asked me to just trust him in the whole process. And so I think, you know, that he, he can probably tell you more of the details on it, but my focus has been on, on trying to win games and, and uh, try to keep this team going and keep building the momentum. So if you want to ask details, you can ask him. But I thought I thought they allowed me the opportunity to just keep coaching. That That's all I'm thankful for. I think that was a really important cut right there. Kalani Sataki, his uh, contract has been extended. It's official. It was released about 11 o'clock this morning. But, of course, we saw the reports from our very own Jay Catch and others that uh, Tom Homo had come into the postgame locker room after that game with Idaho State with a hashtag Extend Kalani t-shirt. We find out that uh, Coach has been extended through 2023. Gordon, your thoughts? Well, I mean, I've written it twice at various times. I think I wrote it in September, and I wrote it uh, long before that, that uh, Kalani was the man uh, for that job and that he should be extended. You and I have said that on the air time and again. Uh, BYU took its time getting there. I, I that, that cut there was interesting to me. Uh, I really like Kalani. I think he's an honorable guy, but I think he was lying there. Uh, I think this has been on his mind, and he wanted to be extended, and he was a little confused about why he hadn't been extended thus far, and obviously he was focusing on football. That part of it is true, but I, I, it, you, you're only human to think about that extension and your contract and what's going to happen in the future. I don't blame him for thinking about that. I think that's a responsible thing to do, uh, but uh, it's it, what happened should have happened, and it did happen. And now Kalani will be around till twenty three. So that's at least, and and maybe longer if he continues to grow this thing in the direction it's headed right now. Although next year's schedule is pretty brutal. So tell me if uh, I like to look into stuff, Gordon. You know, I like to try and read between the lines. And off times, I've been way off base, and I need you to uh, point out when I am, as oh, yeah. you are are okay. so good at. But you know what really stood out to me about that comment, and as I was listening to it uh, uh, live, it really stood out to me as well, that he, he said, Tom told him to trust in Tom. And how I was reading the situation kind of all along is Kalani's Tom's guy. Kalani doesn't want, or Tom doesn't want Kalani to fail. That's that's Tom's hire, right? And so I I would have guessed that it the resistance was coming somewhere other than Tom Homo. 
Where are so they? I, I think that that's actually a nice comment. And again, I could be totally reading Is it into coming stuff. coming from Salt Lake up here? Well, I don't know, Gordon. And, and you know that system a little bit better than, than I do because you've been around it for uh, for a long time and covering it for a long time. I, I know what I've been kind of told how it how it kind of works. But I, I think that shows um, that Tom Homo is a pretty good leader down there at that athletic department. You know, telling coach, hey, go coach your games. Trust in me. We'll get it. We'll, we'll figure it out. You win football games, you leave the rest of me, and we'll get you taken care of. That's what. That's kind of what that signal is sent to me by him wording it in that particular way. Way off? Uh, mm, I, I think Tom was somewhat uh, waiting to see, too. I don't think he was always on board. And I'm not sure he, from his position, that he needed to be. Uh, you and I thought Kalani was the best guy for the job, and we've talked to enough people through the years who have agreed with us. Some disagree. Some haven't been overly bowled over by what's happened under Kalani's leadership. But you and I are one voice on that, and we have a lot, a lot in the chorus with us. Uh, and I don't know where Tom was. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I just would think that Tom would... Well, actually, let me ask you this. How secure is Tom's gig down there? Because uh, a, a failure of the football coach, that goes on his record. So there are yeah. certain athletic directors that have the type of, of track record where it's like, well, you can whisk, miss once in a while, and then there are athletic director, directors in situations where they really need a hit, you know? Well, as you know, it's different down there, and they have other things that are on their minds beyond just the one or the win-loss record. Well, some of that other stuff hadn't been so great, right? Yeah. Some I, NCAA yeah. Uh, issues. Uh, independence, I think, has affected the interest in the football program. Yes, and uh, and that's all happened under Tom's leadership. Correct. So how so how firm is his situation? Because uh, that comes into play, right? I, I th- well, yeah, it all comes into play. I, I don't think... I don't think anybody's doing backflips over the performance of the football program over the last five years. I mean, it just has been kind of there. Well, programs bottom out, and then you've got to look for indicators that it's going in the right and direction. And I think we see positive indicators. I do, too. And I've talked with enough people down there to know that's the feeling on the inside of the program. Now, a lot of those people's jobs are at stake as well. But I've talked to people down there who I trust, who I've known for many, many years as straight shooters, and they say it's a positive vibe inside the program, and I believe them. One thing, so that's something Kalani has established that, and uh, I I think I look at that schedule next year, folks, and I I don't know where the wins are going to come from, but I can't think of anybody who is going to shepherd BYU football through that kind of scheduling any better than Kalani can. I would agree, although I don't think that's for lack of a couple of qualified candidates out there that would do a fine job. Yeah. But I, I I do agree. Uh, with what you're saying right there. And look, Kalani's not the one who put that schedule together. You know, he's not the one building the schedules. Uh, Lavelle Edwards would probably have a losing record to that schedule next Well, year. I'm sure Tom, who is making the schedules, has some marching orders. Because, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a few ways to salvage independence, in my opinion. And one of those ways is to uh, schedule interesting big-time opponents. How many times have we heard that over and over again? So, so which is better? Is it better to have a, a tough schedule from start to finish 
uh, or is it better to have some tough teams mixed in the beginning and then have some gimmies down the stretch like this year? I think it's better to get back into the Mountain West Conference where they would probably have won the league this year if they were playing in it. That's not a choice. But think about that. If they beat San Diego State, they'll have beat the creme de la creme of the Mountain West Conference, which likely would have meant conference championship and possible New Year's Six inclusion. But uh, getting back to your point, you, there's there's not a ton of wiggle room, actually. You've got to schedule those interesting, tough opponents at the beginning, and then November is going to be hard, so you're going to have to backfill. And hopefully you can have some Mountain West games in the middle to make it interesting. I don't hate them playing South Florida because they're or, or Toledo because they're actually somewhat interesting opponents even though they're on the other side of the uh, of the country. And so, what about, and then, the, what about this three-game stretch? Because then it raises the question, BYU fans – which would you rather have? Would you go, rather go eight and four and have teams like Idaho State and UMass on your schedule? Or would you rather go, you know, seven and five or six and six and be totally loaded up with maybe one or two gimmies? Um, I, I mean, I think. Because that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, that's the difference between going eight and four. And going six and six, or maybe even five and seven. Correct. But you'd have more interesting matchups that you right. enjoy on a weekly basis. I, Indeed. If you're independent, I, th- I think you've got to load up on the interesting games. I think that's what you've got going for you. I think that's the card that that you can play uh, to to keep yourself relevant. And next year's schedule is going to be uh, is going to be extraordinarily difficult, which is why it's important Kalani got this extension because. It may take a couple of uh, a couple of lumps next year, but but if you play, you know, just a couple of big time opponents, uh, a few Mountain West teams, and sprinkle in more of the Idaho States and and UMasses of the world, I, what does that do for you? That's the, I mean, how do you how do you sell that? Yeah. How do you sell that to your fans, and how do you sell that to to players? Didn't you I don't say, think that's didn't an Tom option. Say he could schedule wins if he wanted to, or yeah, something. he has that said that before, and he absolutely can, but. If but you're, but if people you're, get sucked into that. I mean, I'm watching that game on Saturday. They're playing Idaho State. And I'm not sitting here trying to run down the Bengal program or anything. But that's not a really good football program. It's an automatic win. And so was everybody feeling good about the 42-10 to 10 victory? Was anybody thinking, oh, yeah, this was a win, but it was a, it was a scheduled win? What I mean, and do people care? Because BYU's program was often, many years, was built on beating inferior teams. It's true, but there was also a league championship to play for. And I think BYU will tell you that other teams play schedule automatic wins. They just do it earlier in the year instead of later. Uh, do they do it to this extent? Uh, pretty close sometimes. I haven't looked Look specifically at, at Alabama. Who were their gimmies this year? I'll, outside, I, outside, outside a league because I mean, uh, the teams BYU is beating in this three games. I mean, they play the worst team in college football next week, uh, and, and Idaho State is. I mean, it's just how much, how much pleasure is there in beating these kinds of teams? I get the impression that Tom would schedule like next year, every year, if he could. And then it's up to the football program to live up to it. And that's really what they would face if they were maybe maybe not, I don't know to what extent comparatively, but if they were in a 
in a P5 conference, they would have to make the same adjustments that they have to make next year. They would they would have some losing seasons because they now there are some advantages inherent in being a part of that kind of conference, but that BYU doesn't have right now. You, but you ready for Alabama's non-league yeah, schedule, which yeah. is actually relevant to our Utah conversation? We'll get into coming up next. But uh, the mighty Duke Blue Devils on a on a neutral site there in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know what Duke's record is this year. Uh, but it's it's the Duke has got to be better than Idaho State and UMass. Yeah, uh-huh. but okay. I don't think Duke is better than necessarily San Diego State, okay, or Boise State, all right, or even Utah State. All right. Uh, then uh, the next week they played at home, of course, New Mexico State. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, non-conference game number three, the mighty Southern Miss. All right. And then finally, and that's this week uh, weekend's game. Get yourself ready for this one, Western Carolina. Uh huh. All right. Terrific. A lot of teams right there. Yeah, not great. No, that is terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. Are they doing? Why are they doing that? They don't have to do that. They're good enough to beat, get, get at least some marquee value out of their victories. Well, they think uh, you know they like the the argument that the SEC uh, is tough so enough, tough, right? And I I don't necessarily agree with that, to be honest with you. Urban Urban Meyer said something interesting on the Fox broadcast over the weekend. He basically pointed out he said, "Hey, look, if Oregon would have done what these other schools would have done and not scheduled Auburn and scheduled somebody else, scheduled yeah. Rutgers or whatever, where uh-huh. would Oregon be right now?" Yeah, but the Pac-12 isn't the SEC. They'd still be in the top four. So give Oregon credit for having the guts to schedule somebody because they really didn't need to. Uh, are you sure they'd be in the top four? 100%. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Even if there were other undefeated teams? There are only three other know, undefeated teams, were, and they'd you, be you at number know, four. You don't know how that's going to work no, out. No, but I'd, I'd bet you good money they'd be at number four. Okay, you have, you have an undefeated team out of the SEC, out of the ACC, out of the Big Ten and out of the Big Twelve, you think Oregon automatically is getting? Well, in? there isn't an undefeated team out of the Big. 12. I know, I know, but if there were, and obviously, well, when then they it would come down this, to. They don't know. It'd come down to splitting hairs, like we're going to do anyway with the one-loss teams. Yeah. But they, if they were undefeated, they'd be in the top four. And okay, to your argument. Let's say Oklahoma was undefeated. Maybe they'd be number five. But I think you get my point. Mm-hmm. I do. I and understand. I thought it was a very astute point on Urban's part. And until the committee actually starts rewarding teams for making hard non-conference schedules, then nothing's going to change, which I find frustrating. Well, the whole process, you know where I am on it. I'm aware. Make that it, is true. They can stick it where the sun don't shine. Uh, Gordon, let's talk about the Utes. Not only their game, which you were at, of course, uh, where they just demolished UCLA 49-3, to but also where the Utes uh, kind of sit now in the overall uh, picture in college football because, one, they're absolutely a part of it, and, two, a lot of crazy stuff happened over the weekend. Well, the Utes are so freaking good. This team is really, really good. And it's to the point now where everybody in the state of Utah should should uh, celebrate this team. Uh, and I know that's difficult to do for fans of other teams and there's rivalries and I get all that. But this is something special going on. I And I would be shocked if they lose uh, to either Arizona or Colorado. I mean, I, I just uh, don't even uh, – I mean, this team is really, really good. I don't see them losing to either one of those, even on the road down in Arizona. 
Uh, so that that leaves Oregon in that championship game, and I think that's going to be a game for for the ages. That that's going to be a whole lot of fun. And with the way the Utes are playing right now, Jake, both on defense and on offense, they are a threat from start to finish of a game. And when you have that kind of confidence, when you have that kind of defense, the offense is confident. And when you have that kind of offense, the defense is confident. And it just spreads. And that team that team has it. It has it. And Utah fans should be pretty darn excited about what's going on. This may be the best Ute team I've ever seen. And we'll see. Obviously, they got stuff to prove yet. But uh, I'm telling you, it's that kind of potential. Well, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss are an unbelievable combo. Yeah. And the fact that there are two guys, and, and throwing Damari Simpkins because uh, he's you know from Hallandale, the Hallandale trio, we've heard all about it. But that, that's an under, under-talked-about story, in my opinion. Three guys that come from Florida and that want to do it or want to, to perform at Utah, clear across the country. You know, there's there's parts where, like, I'm sure some bigger schools in Florida, they'd love to go and got passed over, yep. you know, to places like Florida and Florida State mm-hmm. and, and Miami. And they decided to go to this might as well be a foreign country, uh, the three of them, and to not only – you know, uh, contribute to the team. But, I mean, in, in the case of Huntley and Moss, certainly be absolute superstars together is is an is a, just a wonderful story. Tyler Huntley was terrific uh, with his 335 yards. Zach Moss uh, was great with 127. But can I tell you my favorite stat of the game? Yeah. Four carries for Tyler Huntley. Hmm. And, by the way, he was in at minus 14. So how many of those carries were actually – designed carries. I mean, he scored a touchdown, so we can throw that in there, right? But for the most part, he's being so smart within the offense, and it's something that that we just have not seen as far as his decision-making goes, where he's he's a thrower, man. And the one game that they've lost this year was the game that he kind of went back to. And again, I'll I'll say this, because I I took the onus off him because he was running for his life. The the O-line was playing so poorly that day against USC. But And I'm trying to look up exactly what it was. Do you remember how many – he had something like 18 rushes against against USC. And how much of it was his fault, though? That's what I'm saying. He was running for his life. But outside of that game, which coincidentally they lost – his carries have been down in the in the single digits, mm-hmm. and it's because he's making great decisions with the football, keeping Absolutely. his head up, Absolutely. and even when he's scrambling around, he's finding the open guy. He deserves a ton of credit. And, and when and, that open guy is there, how accurate has he been? Right on the money. On the money. Right on the money. So I, I think he realized, like, hey, I'm a thrower. I can stand back there and sling it. I don't need to rely on my my legs and the big playability. I need, I need to realize, okay, I could tuck it and run, mm-hmm. and I could probably get you know eight or nine yards, or I could probably get the first down. But instead of that, I'm going to keep my head up and I'm going to look for the big play. And he's if you look at the stats, he's got some of the most completions of over thirty yards in the whole country, and it's because he's not doing. And I don't want to say the selfish thing because that sounds too negative, but not doing the put my head down and I'll get six. And talk about keeping that. your Head up and, and talk about it the frick in the frack. That defense isn't giving up big plays. Well, the defense ever. is amazing. I mean, so so you both can't say enough about both, it. So both sides are are doing similar things from a standpoint of uh, being remarkable. And you know, the, we you had some questions before the season started about about the receiving core, but they seem to have come around in a big way. And now you got the tight end game working for Keithy with that long sixty nine yard was it a touchdown. Uh, and and did some uh, terrific things, and so the Utes are hitting on all cylinders right now. I, I don't see a problem 
with this team. And that's why I think they uh, are the best team in the Pac-12, and I think they're going to beat Oregon. I'm not quite there yet. I think Oregon's really, really good. If that's what we get from the Pac-12 title game and both teams with one loss, oh, man, that's going to be awesome. But I I don't know if I can definitively say Utah's better than Oregon yet. You know, getting back to Huntley real quick, I remember uh, making comment a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, that he was looking more like a quarterback. And this has been a process that has is now complete. And Andy Ludwig deserves a lot of credit for this, but but Huntley deserves most of credit because he's been willing to learn, and he's he's paid attention, and you can see the progress. He's I, got he's got a strong arm, and now it's an accurate arm. And when we talked with Mike Leach, you remember what he said? He that was at the bottom of his list of characteristics he wanted in a quarterback. The top ones were decision making and uh, and being poised. And he, and he has definitely shown that, with the exception of, of the one game when he got roughed up. I wonder what would happen, say, if Oregon comes after him and commits resources to bother him from that standpoint. The rest of the offense is talented enough, I think, now to, to uh, compensate for that. You would hope so. I don't think Utah's seen a defense like Oregon's yet. So Oregon's defense is really, really good. So I mean that will be a test. They'll be able to get after it, and that'll be a that'll be a huge. That's why that game's going to be great because both ten both teams are top ten worthy. Both teams are great teams. Both teams have great quarterbacks, and that's why that game is going to be actually so valuable to the conference. Larry Scott has just got to have both his fingers crossed. And and Gordon coming up on the other side. Why don't we get into these scenarios? But I mean the Pac-12 has to have those teams finish out with one one loss. That has to happen if they want to keep their playoff hopes yeah. alive because that game has to be valuable. That one has to be the game that you point at and go, see, our champion deserves to be in because both these teams were incredible and this team won. The problem is that the rest of the conference hasn't been very good. It's been exactly. me- mediocre. Oh, maybe even below that. It, I mean, it's it's Utah and Oregon, and then a huge gap. And in then my opinion, kind of USC, USC, and, ki- and yeah. kind of Washington, and then just mm. straight garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, and, and we'll get into more of this coming up next. But Utah's only beat two teams with a winning record, and one was a non-conference game. And one was BYU. Yeah. So one was Washington. And one's been BYU. Outside of that, nobody has a winning record because the rest of the conference is, is rough. We saw that with UCLA. who's was coming in on a three-game win streak, and, and Utah absolutely demolished them. At no point did you think in that game, oh, I think the Bruins have a shot in this one. And the thing about that is that uh, you can say, well, UCLA turned the ball over five times, but there's a reason. When a team is pressured, felt pressure, individually and collectively, the way the Bruins did against Utah's defense, it's easy to turn the yep. ball over, much easier. But their, their problem really is the rest of the conference, and it's not their fault. All right, some interesting things happen around the rest of the country. How is Utah set up looking at uh, the playoff picture? Also, don't forget, we'll talk jazz basketball with Chris Mannix at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Kristen Kinney at 4.30. Tanner Mangum's going to be on the show at 5. It's the big show right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks. If you're a Verizon or XO customer, if you were recently notified that some of your telecommunication services will no longer be supported, contact Syringa Networks, Utah's fastest-growing premier telecommunications provider. They have a full range of services. Services, call today, 385-420-8221. That number again, 385-420-8221. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.